0: I was really an impatient kid, because before we could open up that one present on Christmas Eve, we had to go to the Christmas Eve candlelight service. And as a little kid, I had to wait through the candlelight service, and then when we got home, I had to wait through dinner, and then I had to wait for my brother to open his presents, because I couldn't just open mine. And so that night, I went to bed really, really early. Because I thought if I went to bed early, that would speed Santa up coming to my house. Because I was impatient for Santa to visit my house. And so that next morning, I got my parents up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. I jumped in their bed, said, Mom and Dad, let's get up. Let's go see what Santa's giving us. Wait a minute, Sean. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. It can wait. And so I impatiently got my parents up. We got out there. And in my family, you, you don't just rip into the presents. Some of you, like, you just rip into the presents. You have to open them one by one, by one. And then you have to wait for everybody. I'm like, let's just, why do we have to wait? Let's just, just dive in. And so, you, needless to say, I was an impatient little boy on Christmas, and not much has changed for this impatient big boy on Christmas. I am an impatient person, and my beautiful wife Dawn can attest to that with a hearty Amen. And as a, as a pastor says, if you can't say amen, then you should always say ouch, if you're impatient. I'm amazed at how impatient I get at stupid things, stupid things like having to stand in line, or driving and somebody's not going as fast as I would like them to go, or when my Amazon Prime package doesn't come the next day; it comes in two days. Or when I have to watch a TV show in real time because I didn't DVR it and fast forward to the commercials. Now, these are first world problems, aren't they? <laughs> I think about what we saw earlier on the mission video. And we talk about our, our friends in South Asia and other places that, that they probably have issues of patience to deal with. But these are first world problems. You know, Don and I enjoy hiking a lot. And a few summers ago, we went to hike uh, Grace Peak. And it's a, it's a 14er. And so, you know, a lot of you probably tried to hike the 14ers. And so it's good when you start out, and then as you get top to timberline, and about every 15 minutes you start wincing because you're out of breath, and and you see these 20-somethings going up. Literally, we saw a guy go up and come back down and go up and come back down while we were still going up. I think he went up like twice. Like, what what the world is this? This guy's in shape. And so you, you would like to get to the top of a 14er by somebody dropping you in by helicopter. That would be the great way to get there, right? Just drop me in by helicopter, I made it to the top of the peak. But no, that's not the way it works. You have to go through peaks, you have to go through valleys, you've got to go through all these different things to get to the top. And that's really a picture, an allegory of the Christian life. The Christian life is not easy sailing. There's ups, there's downs, there's cliffs, there's meadows. It's a lifelong journey of joy of heartache, of disappointments. It's, it's steady progress, and it really requires patience to rely upon the Lord. Because you see, we would like to see instantaneous change. We would like to see things happen automatically. We want a hassle-free, struggle-free, tribulation-free life, and we want things instantaneously. Have you ever wondered why there are so many garden metaphors in the Bible about Christian growth? Patience. The Christian life is one of patience. And Christmas is a time for patience. You're like, thanks, Pastor Sean. That's what I wanted to hear, to come in on Christmas. Have a sermon on patience. Well, last week I gave you a sermon on hope. This week, I'm giving you a sermon on patience. And a lot of times, the Bible puts those two things together. We hope with confidence, we wait with patience. And so, let's see what Psalm 130 has to say about waiting, about patience. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice, let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all her iniquities. In verse 5, I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in verse 6, my soul waits. Three times in this short little psalm, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. I wait like a watchman in the evening. Now, back in those days, they would have watchmen on the walls that would be looking for an invading army so they could announce to everyone to get ready for battle. But it would kind of be like working the night shift. And it's about, the morning's about ready to come and you're about ready to get off work and you, you can't wait to get off work and go home to your family. You wait with expectation. And so, the psalmist here is waiting for the Lord. His soul waits. He's hoping for the Lord. He's like a watchman on the wall. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. Last week, we explored hope. This week, we explore patience, and I think they go together. We hope with confidence. We wait with patience. And so, I think it would be good for us to see what the Bible has to say about patience on this sunday before christmas you know patience is one of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit you see this in galatians 5:22 through 23 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law Okay, what does the word patience mean? There are two words in the New Testament to describe patience. The first word is patience with other people. How we deal in interpersonal relationships when people try our patience. So patience with people. The other New Testament word in the original language focuses more on enduring trials or situations or circumstances. So here's the point. The Bible talks about having patience in two aspects. Patience with other people and patience in situations. As I often say in my family, I sometimes get impatient at inanimate objects. If you ever got mad at an inanimate object? I'll just leave it at that. Not another person, but something that, like a door that hits you or something. I don't know. You need patience in all these issues. Now, here's the point. Since patience is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, we cannot demonstrate patience in our own power. We need the fruit of the Spirit producing His work in our lives to grant us that patience. So I could just easily say, be patient. But really, we need the fruit, the growth, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives giving us that Patience. Patience with other people, patience in situations. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just ask three questions related to this topic of patience. And I want to start where I think we should start. And here's the first question. Question number one. Who is the ultimate example of patience? Before we understand how we are to be patient with others... We need to start with God Himself. God Himself is the ultimate example of patience, patience towards sinners. Exodus 34 6, you remember when God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock? because Moses wanted to see God's glory and God would not allow Moses to see his full glory, so he hit him in the rock. But Moses, uh, the Lord passed by Moses and announced his character, his name. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord is slow to anger. Literally, in the original language, the Hebrew expression "slow to snort his nose in anger" has a high threshold or tolerance for our sin. Great restraint, great patience. Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let me just stop right there. I was thinking about this this morning. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of us would be dead by now or in a really bad place if God were not patient with us? God is patient. Micah 7 18 through 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. The Old Testament, God is slow to anger. New Testament, Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why is God patient with you? Is it so you can keep on sinning? No, it's so that you would be led to repent. That's why God sometimes doesn't come in and give you the consequences that you deserve, because he's leading you to repentance. And then think about Jesus. This was read in our call to worship. Paul's talking about the patience of our Lord in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I'm the worst, Paul says. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me the foremost, listen to this, Jesus Christ might display his perfect Patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus displays perfect patience. Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. So let me just give you a little bit of a warning this morning. If you're here this morning and you're a sinner separated from God, you are guilty before Him. And you need salvation. You need the patience of God. And how did God demonstrate his patience? How did God put that patience on display, that perfect patience? By sending Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again. And he's coming back in power and glory. And so we must confess our sins, we must own up to our sins, we must confess our need for Jesus to be our Savior and Lord, and when we do that, He stands ready, willing, and able to come and completely forgive us of all of our sins. But there is a point at which God's patience may run out. The Bible does talk about eternal consequences if you die in your sins. 2 Peter 3, 9 the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient. God is kind. God is slow to anger. So before we even understand how we are to be patient, the first thing we need to understand is God's patience. God himself is the ultimate example of patience. Jesus shows us perfect patience in his character, in the cross, in the way that he forgives us. He is slow to anger. Now, the second question is going to be an obvious question, but I want to dig deeper. So here's the second question. What truly is the opposite of patience? Okay, Pastor Sean, I know the answer to that. It's impatience, right? Right. It's impatience. But let's dig a little deeper. Let's dig a little deeper. What are some of the underlying sins that actually cause you to be impatient? You see, the Bible talks about two types of sins. There are root sins that hide deep in our heart underneath the surface that are really hard to detect. Root sins. Then there are fruit sins that come out that are easier to see. And often we can identify the fruit sins But sometimes we have to dig below the surface and get to the root sins. So sometimes impatience can come out in foul language. It can come out in lashing out. It can come out in in some type of verbal abuse or or getting angry. That's kind of the fruit. But what are the underlying sins that lie beneath the surface that make us impatient? So let me suggest three. There's probably more. What are some sins that lie under the surface that make us impatient? And let me just tell you, I'm guilty of all three of these, okay? First, self-righteous entitlement. I shouldn't have to wait. I deserve to be first. I'm entitled to my way. I'm entitled to it. Self-righteous entitlement, sense of entitlement. And when we don't get our way because we feel we're entitled to it, what do we do? We get impatient. Because after all, I have a right to this. Number two, egoism. It's kind of similar. Everything revolves around me. Others should come to my beck and call at my demand and they should serve me immediately because everything is about me. The world revolves around me. I'm more important than everybody else. Everybody's got to stop what they're doing and they've got to serve me. Third, You may have resentment, can sometimes cause you to get impatient. Why do things always seem to be better for other people? Other people seem to get their way, they seem to get ahead, things seem to happen for them, and things always mess up for me. God must not love me, God must have forgotten about me, and so I begin to resent other people and I begin to resent God. And when I begin to resent others and God, that leads me to be impatient. I don't trust in God's timing, I'm entitled. I'm egotistical and I get resentful, and that leads me to be impatient with God and with others. Let me give you a perfect example of someone in the Bible who was impatient. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. King Saul. Who was impatient? King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now, I'm going to read this, these, all these 16 verses just to kind of give you the context. I could, probably could have preached the whole sermon on this, but this is an illustration of somebody in the Bible who really demonstrated these three types of sins. You want to see self-entitlement, you want to see egoism, and you want to see kind of the blame game going on here and getting impatient. We see it with King Saul. All right, is everybody there? Hopefully you're there. First Samuel 13. Let's just begin reading. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan's his son in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent... Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. Things look great so far, right? He's got 2,000 men with him. Jonathan defeats the Philistines. Things are going great. Okay, verse 5. The Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots. Okay, what are the odds there? How many does Saul have? Do the math. He's got 2,000. How many do they have? 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Aven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble... For the people were hard pressed. The people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. Anywhere they could find a place to hide, they hid. And they crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Okay, so what's going on? <clears throat> Things were going good until the Philistines brought in a huge army and, and surrounded them. Now Samuel. The prophet is not there. And so Saul, as we'll see, takes matters into his own hands. So let's begin in verse 8. He waited seven days. That's, that's Saul. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash... I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord Commanded. Okay. What did Saul do that was so bad? Only the priests were allowed to offer sacrifices. Saul is not a priest, he's a king. Samuel should have offered the sacrifices. And Samuel said, I'll be back in seven days. And what does Saul say? He's looking at his watch, that Old Old Testament watch, whatever it was, the sundial. I don't know what it was. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. And obviously, Samuel's not coming on time. And so when we feel stressed or we feel hard-pressed, what's human nature? Human nature is to get impatient and take matters into our own hands. And that's exactly what Saul does. What does Saul do? Verse 13, Samuel says to him, you've done foolishly. You've acted foolishly. Foolish impatience, Saul. Saul, you also broke the commandment of God because only a priest is allowed to offer the sacrifices. You're not allowed to do that. There's a sense of self-righteous entitlement. No, Saul, you're a king. You're not allowed to do what the priests do. Saul says, I don't give a rip, Samuel. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to offer the sacrifices because as a matter of fact, you're not coming in time. And then he plays the blame game. Samuel says, what have you done? Well, well, the people, it's the people's fault. They, they abandoned me. It's your fault, Samuel. You weren't here on time. It's the Philistines' problem. It's their fault. They're, they're coming down on me. He shifts the blame to everybody else but himself. And then notice verse 12, how the ESV words it. Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the favor of the Lord. I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I forced myself. In times of foolish impatience, how many times do we do what Saul does? We shift the blame to others. We feel entitled. We panic. We think we can break the rules and we don't wait on God's timing and we take matters into our own Hands. And here's the big deal. You may think, well, this wasn't a big deal. Samuel, Samuel wasn't there on time, and Saul just kind of went and offered the burnt offering. In that one act of foolishness, he lost his kingdom. Samuel says, you've lost the kingdom, and I'm giving it to David, a man after God's own heart. So, we've asked the first two questions for today. Question number one, who is the ultimate example of patience? The Lord Himself. God is slow to anger. God is patient. God is forgiving. Question number two, what's the opposite of patience? It's impatience, obviously, but there's underlying issues that, that prompt us to be impatient. A sense of entitlement, a sense of resentment, egoism, blaming others. Now let's ask the third question, and this is the practical application question. And I started numbering these. I thought I have too many to number them. And if I numbered them, you're just going to get lost in the numbers. So I'm just going to list them. What areas of life do we need to practice patience? And what specific areas of life do we need to practice patience? So let's just talk about areas of life. Some of these are areas related to circumstances, which that word patience means. Some of these are areas related to people. So let's just talk about what are some particular areas we need to learn patience. Okay? We need patience when God does not immediately answer our prayers. Don't you get impatient when God doesn't immediately answer your prayers? I want my prayer answered now, God. Psalm 33, 20-22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us as we hope in you. Almost similar to the Psalm in 130. We wait for you. We wait for you. And then Psalm 38:15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait? It is you, O Lord God, who will answer. God will answer. Then he'll answer when he's ready to answer. And that requires patience when we're waiting on God to answer our prayers because we want immediate answers. I prayed this prayer and God didn't answer me three seconds ago. Why isn't God doing it? Which leads me to my second point here. We need patience when waiting upon God's perfect timing. They kind of go hand in hand. When God doesn't answer your prayers, you're also waiting on God's perfect timing. You need, you need patience in God's perfect timing. Psalm 25, 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. I wait all day long for you, God, if that's what it's going to take. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm thirty-three, twenty. our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. So we need patience when we're waiting on God's perfect timing. He's sovereign. He's going to answer your prayers when he decides to answer them. He's going to move in your life when he decides to do that. You're not in charge. God is. It requires patience. We need patience when we envy the success and prosperity of others. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord... And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Don't fret when everybody else you see around you is getting ahead and they're prospering and they're being blessed and and things aren't going well for you. The psalmist says, be still. Wait for God. Don't fret when you see others getting ahead. You get impatient when you see things going well for others around you. And if you get impatient, you get resentful and you don't want to wait upon the Lord. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for Him. We need patience when we do good works and we don't immediately see fruit or spiritual results. Have you ever done a good deed for somebody or poured your life into somebody or done something you think was was a good act of ministry and you never really saw immediate fruit? You wondered, why did I do that in the first place? I'm not seeing any return on investment. Why did I pour my life into that person just to get burned? Or or why did I give my time to that and saw nothing? You do a good work and you don't see immediate fruit. Let me just say this. For some of you that are in the ministry, you may never see fruit this side of heaven. And if you did, you might become very inflated with pride because you would take credit for it. God produces the fruit, and you may see that fruit in heaven. But Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. Due season. You do good, you minister, you pour your life out to others. In due season, in God's timing, in due season, you'll reap the harvest. Hebrews six ten through 12. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Okay, so God's not overlooked that. Your work, your love, your serving. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Takes patience when you don't see immediate fruit. When you give your life, or you pour your life, or you do ministry, we need patience in our interpersonal relationships, especially those closest to us: husbands to your wives, wives to your husbands, parents to your children, those that are closest to you. Ephesians four one through two. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3:12 through 13, put on then like, like clothing as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Bear with one another. Be kind with one another. Be humble towards one another. Be patient. And by the way, why does Paul say that? Because that's how God has treated you. What makes Christian patience different than other types of patience? It's not just the golden rule here. We are patient with others because God's been patient with us. We are kind to others because God's been kind to us in Christ. We forgive others because Christ has forgiven us in the gospel. That's why we do this is because of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Don't you love that? Be patient with them all. Newsflash. I get impatient with them all, a lot. I get impatient. People will annoy you. People will bug you. People will try your patience. And you and I, and especially me, I can't speak for you, but I know myself, I don't have the strength or the fortitude or the go get them to be able to endure with other people. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. That's why it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit in our lives to give us that calmness, that patience, that restraint, that lack of lashing out, that lack of resentment, egoism. And we should be praying for patience for ourselves. Pray. Here's what I often do. Go through that list of the fruit of the Spirit and look at which one of those you struggle with the most and pray for that every day like crazy because you're going to need that. And the one for me is patience. And guess what happens when you pray for patience? What does God do? I'm going to try your patience today (laughs) in some strange way. Well, you prayed for it. God's going to make you go through it. But here's where the body of Christ comes in. We should pray for each other to have patience. To endure trials. You know, almost all the prayers that Paul begins in his letters, he, he, he begins most of his letters with a prayer to the church. And it's interesting what he prays for, because when you see what Paul prays for, we know what we should be praying for other believers. So at the beginning of Colossians, Colossians 1, 9 through 12, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Okay? We haven't stopped praying for you. Asking for Okay, Paul, what are you asking? What's your prayer? Okay, here's Paul's prayer request. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for, here's the conclusion of his prayer, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to God the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life? Do you pray for your other brothers and sisters, people closest to you, for their, their endurance, their joy, their patience? We need patience in our spiritual growth. We all grow at different rates. And sometimes you can get impatient when you see somebody else growing faster than you or you're frustrated with your own level of spiritual growth, and you're like, God, why am I not growing the way that person is? God's in charge of your spiritual growth. We all grow at different rates, and sometimes you can get impatient with how God's growing you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, and here's the point, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. From one degree of glory to another. We're all at different rates from one degree to another. God's growing us at different rates. He's growing us in the way that we need to grow based upon His sovereignty. And we shouldn't get impatient when we're not growing the way we think we should be growing. Because here's the the thing. Whether you see or perceive your growth, you're growing. Because here's a promise. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even if you don't see God working in you, he's working in you. And we can often get impatient if we don't grow at the rate that we think we should be. We need patience in waiting for the second coming. A lot of people are waiting for Jesus to return like everybody I talk to. It's like, just come back now, Jesus. We're kind of in this, I don't want to say holding pattern, but we're kind of in this COVID situation where it's made a lot of people think, I just want to get out of this. And the way to get out of this is for Jesus to come back. He could come back right now or it could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. So we need patience. Romans eight twenty-two through 25. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly, what are we waiting eagerly for? The adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, the, the final resurrection. When Jesus comes back, we're waiting for that redemption of our bodies, that resurrection. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he's not seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with. Patience. Patience. Let me ask you to go back to Psalm 130. And let me just read it again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with, steadfast, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Hope and patience. I hope in the Lord, I wait for the Lord. They're kind of combined together. We hope with confidence. We wait with patience. We wait with endurance. And while we wait, we have hope. Lamentation 3, 25 through 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Are you waiting quietly on the Lord or are you acting in self-righteous entitlement? Are you quietly waiting on the Lord Or are you demanding that everyone stop what they're doing and serve you at your beck and call? Because after all, it's all about you. Are you quietly waiting on the Lord? Or are you fretting with resentment that other people seem to be advancing and God's not meeting your demands on your timetable? He's not answering your prayers. He's not moving the way you want him to move. Are you quietly waiting on the Lord? Are you acting with foolish impatience? Are you lashing out at others? Are you getting anxious over circumstances that are really out of your control? Christmas is a time for patience. May the Holy Spirit grow his fruit of patience in our lives this Christmas and beyond. And so, here's my prayer for us. May we all wait, wait quietly on our great Savior, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the risen Christ, our sovereign Lord. Would we be marked as a people who wait quietly for the salvation of our great God? Let's pray. Father, it's really hard to be a patient person. Lord, we have stresses in our lives. We have anxiety. We have people that frustrate us. We have circumstances that are out of our control. And Lord, I know I desperately need to practice patience. And I first want to thank you, Father, that you are... A God of perfect patience, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you've been patient with us. And Lord Jesus, we need to understand those root sins that lie beneath the surface. And so Holy Spirit, would you help us to identify if maybe we have some self-righteous entitlement in our hearts or if we have egoism in our hearts or if we have resentment or, or the blame game in our hearts that would cause us to be impatient. And, Holy Spirit, would you bear the fruit of patience in our lives as we live out these these application areas on an everyday basis with other people that we deal with and circumstances that are beyond our control and waiting on your timetable and waiting for answered prayer, waiting for your second coming and, and all these areas that we need to have patience. We can't do this in our own strength. We need the power of the Spirit. So, this Christmas, Lord Jesus, would we wait quietly? Wait quietly with hope expectantly for the ultimate salvation that comes only from you, Jesus, as our King of kings and Lord of lords, the true Prince of peace. We thank you and we praise you. Let us walk out of here with confidence knowing that you can answer our prayers, you can meet our needs because you're a great and powerful God and you can give us everything that we need according to your will. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.